Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. I have a lot to share with you today, and I don't really know where to start because the Lord has been speaking to me even before we finished worship. And so there's an instruction I need to give you, but first of all, I want to tell you that in case you don't know, these teachings are not only on live stream, but they are on podcast now. And I think the easiest thing to do is just go to the summitessay.com page and click on the media button and scroll down to the chosen app. And then you can watch the podcast. It's usually ready by 10 p.m. on the same day. And you can get all the previous ones as well since we started. So we have different avenues, means by which you can listen and or watch. And so today's message is called, Are You Walking by Faith or Are You Walking by Sight? Before I get into it, I want to share with you something that the Lord was ministering to me the other day. I don't know why I'm not moving that I know of, but I have really been decluttering. And here's my philosophy. If I haven't used it in a year, I'm not going to. And so it's really easy to say, and the only exception to that is my wedding china, which is now worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's just absolutely beautiful. And I had someone ask me yesterday, well, why don't you just serve your family on it? And it's a simple answer. I have service for 12. And there are over 20 of us when we all get together. So I don't have enough. But it's still, it's just beautiful. And when I die, my kids can do what they want with it. I'm not going to do what my mom and dad, my mom and dad is, please don't get rid of any of our stuff. I've never committed to that. But in going through everything and asking myself, because my philosophy is if you have an uncluttered house, you have an uncluttered mind. I made that up, but that's how I feel. I can't stand clutter. If you went in my garage, you'd call me a liar, but that's my husband. I hope he watches this. So... I found a CD that Kelly gave me for Christmas when Abigail was three years old. And it has her beautiful little picture on it. And the whole CD is Abigail either singing to Kelly playing or her playing the piano with one finger. And it's just precious, including a song that Kelly wrote for her called I Am God's Masterpiece. And I've just been listening to it over and over and over again. She had a little lisp because she had a little gap between her teeth. And it's just to- totally precious. But I was like, God, why am I so drawn to this? Because now she's 20 years old. Uh, she's an accomplished musician like her mother. She's very talented and graceful and beautiful. She has a dynamic voice. And, and I'm listening to this little three-year-old and... It got to where she's doing Jesus Loves Me, and then Mary had a little lamb. So let me tell you a story, because I believe the Lord has an assignment for you through this story. It's not in my notes today, but it's in my heart, and and the Lord began to speak to me as I was up here. And uh, when Kelly was six years old, I walked by her room, and she had one of those little Charlie Brown pianos. And as I walked by her room, I heard her playing Mary Had a Little Lamb. 
Now, she had had no instructions, and she will be more than happy to tell you that I do not have a musical note in my body. Her dad, on the other hand, is very gifted musically. He just never developed it. But to this day, he can sit at a piano, and he can pick out a tune just by ear. And he used to play lead guitar in a band. And so he's got a, a musical ear. He can't sing a note, but he, he can play. And so, but I don't. And I was walking by a room. I heard Mary had a little land. And I didn't turn around and walk back. I backed up like this. And I put my head in the door. And I said, Kelly, how do you know that? She said, I don't know. I said, well, how are you playing it? And she said, I just heard it and played it. And I said, that did it. You're taking piano. And I had, taught, I had consulted piano teachers, and I was told in order to be considered well-versed in piano, you had to take at least 10 years. And so I talked to Randy, and I don't even know how we got the money because at the time, $3,000, this is back in the 19, late 70s, was, you might have, it might as well have been 300000 And, but we found a piano, and it was $3,000, and we bought it. And I said to Kelly, you will play, you will take lessons until you're 10 years old. I don't ever or for 10 years. I don't ever want to hear you complain. I don't ever want to hear you say you don't want to practice. You are doing this for 10 years. And she did. And she never complained. Got a degree in college, went into music, was a music teacher. And of course, you are blessed, I'm sure, by her every week. She's a beautiful songwriter. Her ballads are extraordinary. Has a lovely voice. God, I do not know where it came from, except heaven. And, and then her children are following in the same path. Kelly's husband, Matt, is an accomplished saxophonist. And the other night, we went to a concert. They go to Cornerstone Christian School. And I heard my grandson, my 16-year-old grandson, Joshua, who plays the tenor sax, um, play a solo. And I literally, the minute he started playing, I started crying. It wasn't a Christian song, but it was so anointed, and I just started crying, and then he told me when he sat down, I said, he said he wanted a saxophone, it's called a Black Ruby, and so I've been harping on Kelly to buy him one. I think they're thousands of dollars, but I assured her he is the next Louis Armstrong, and so he needs that saxophone. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because had we not, had we said, we can't afford a $3,000 piano, it's still in my house. Had we not sown that seed, those giftings would never have developed. Abigail is an accomplished pianist, an accomplished flautist. I went to her college concert the other night. It's extraordinary. Joshua, an accomplished saxophonist. My uh, 10-year-old, Nicholas, is excellent on percussion already at 10 years old. Zachary plays the guitar. 
what would have happened if we had said, we just can't sow that seed? I mean, I could buy a new piece of furniture or I could buy a whole lot of clothes for $3,000. And, and when I was standing up there, the Lord spoke to me. Some of you, God has asked you to sow a seed. And it is through that seed that you will harvest much. I don't know who you are. And it could be all of you because God, seed time and harvest will remain according to the book of Genesis as long as the earth remains. Sow the seed. Obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. You won't regret it. Because look, that little seed in those days, look at the harvest that we are already getting. And, and Katie's boys, excellent. My Jack is beautiful on the cello, and he played the viola, and Courtney's children, William, is playing the viola. I'm just telling you, I have an entire band orchestra <laughs> from somebody that plays nothing. I do not know where Middle C is. They've shown me many times. But just that one act of obedience. What is he asking you to do? Some of you, he's telling you to write a blog to consider to, to build up people. You know, you can go all over the world in a few seconds right now. You don't even have to leave your home. What is he asking you to do? What seed is he asking you to sow? I'm just saying, be like Mary. Whatever he says to you, do it. Well, what if it fails? Well, I can tell you one thing, you're going to fail if you don't. Amen. All right. Now to the message. We have seen that faith works through love, and that's the only way faith works. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith does not come through hearing people's testimonies. Encouragement comes. Second winds come. The power to keep running the race comes. But faith only comes by hearing the word of God. And the word is Christ. He sent his word and healed you. That means you could say he sent Jesus and healed you because he is the word. But today I'm just going to share with you from my heart, I want to share with you my biggest struggle in the whole history of Sandy Ross. Because what good am I to you if I act like everything's always perfect and I never have a struggle? And sometimes we look at people that may have a speaking or teaching ministry and we think, well, what do they know? But it's through, Rick always says, adversity is the breakfast of champions. <laughs> and the Lord spoke so powerfully to me yesterday. I'm going to read it to you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I believe it's for many of you. He spoke to me. I had to literally, I think I was driving. I'm pretty sure I broke the law. <laughs> because I told Siri or whatever her name is, text Sandy Ross. Because I did not want to forget. How many of you know if you don't write it down, you're going to forget? And he said to me, because you have stood strong with me in the face of adversity, I will stand strong in the face of your adversaries. 
I believe he's saying that to every one of us. If you stand strong with Jesus in the face of adversity, he will be strong in the face of your adversaries. Hallelujah. None of us are exempt from the wind and the waves. And so here's my biggest struggle. My biggest struggle is walking by faith and not by sight. Because our physical senses are our contact with earth. And it is so hard when the wind and the waves come against us to not waver in doubt and in unbelief. And so my biggest struggle, and I think it might be yours, is to determine, and I have, that I will walk only by what God's word says, and I will say only what God's word says. And I will not be moved by what I see and feel and hear and taste and touch and smell. I mean, smell is a blessing, but you know, I was talking to someone who got COVID and she lost her sense of smell. And you know, God can make lemonade out of lemons anytime. And she said that her Great Dane, how many of you know how big a Great Dane is, had gotten some kind of stomach problem and had diarrhea, I don't know a nice word for that, all over the floor. And she said, Sandy, normally I would have thrown up cleaning it up, but I couldn't smell. So see, good can come out of even what the enemy means for evil. So none of us are exempt from the wind and the waves, none of us. So we're going to look at Peter today, but I want to give you some scriptures before we do. And I think I'm going to give you some testimonies that will really encourage you to run your race with patience. First of all, let's define what faith is. Now I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Classic, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith, that means present. That doesn't mean tomorrow or last week. Today. Now faith is the assurance the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Hope means confident expectation. It does not mean I wish. It means I am confidently expecting that God will do what he says. Hope, the things we hope for. Being, watch this, faith is the proof of things we do not see. And the conviction of their reality. And here you go. Faith is perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now, since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, that means that I perceive as real fact what the Word of God says, although I can't see it yet, I can't hear it yet, I can't feel it yet, I cannot touch it yet, can't smell it yet. And I think I left out a sense, but you know what they are. Taste, sight, touch, smell, and hearing. For by faith, the men of old had divine testimony born to them, 
and obtained a good report. Now, I want to say something about this. I heard a preacher that I have the utmost respect for say this. He says, when somebody asked me to pray for a good report, a good medical report, I used to agree with them, but now I don't. I won't pray for them. And I was like, like you are right now. I went, (gasps) and then he explained why. Because if you're asking me to pray for a good report, that means you're not believing God's. And you're just hoping or wishing that a good report happens. And he said, I can't get into agreement with that because it's not the author and finisher of my faith. Now, I know I just killed a sacred cow. But I'm reading it right now. Faith is perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to what I can see, what I hear, what I can feel, taste, or smell. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Let there be. Remember Genesis? Let there be light. Let the sea divide from the land and the sky. No, 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 I can't, can't quote all that. Let there bring forth vegetation that yield after their own kind. Let the sea be filled with swarming creatures. It was born by the word of God. You look at a tree outside. God formed that tree by his word. And because it produces seed, man is able to be fruitful and multiply the seed. But had he not done that, we wouldn't have any seed to sow back to seed. Do not ever expect multiplication if you're not sowing seed. Let me give you a lesson in sex education. There's only been one person ever born that did not require the act of marriage between a man and a woman. Now the children who are listening are going, Mommy, what does that mean? (laughs) By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that what we see... Listen, was not made out of things that are visible. What was it made out of? Come on. The word of God. They were made out of the word of God. Not what was visible. How will your world be framed? It will, is it framed out of the word of God? This is my determination. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible. Possible to please God and be satisfactory to him. For, who, for whoever would come near to God must believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder, not a rewarder, the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. You know what I love? It says he's a rewarder. He's not a punisher. And I was raised with a false belief system that if I made a mistake, God had his baseball bat ready to swing it against me and knock me out of the game. And that's a lie. But that's how I was raised. That's the church I went to taught that. And you know, I still have to renew my mind to that. There was one denomination that used to say, I don't know if they still do, I'm not going to say which one, but there were even bumper stickers, I remember this, because it was the denomination I was a part of. And it said... Give me your child till they're six years old and we'll have them forever. And I was part of this till I was 20 years old. Now, if you know anything about your neurological formation, 
your self-image and your self-worth are totally formed by 20 years old. So don't think that you're where you are now, that you just got there. Go back. What were you taught from birth to 20 years old? It makes a difference. And so I still have to renew my mind. I was punished when I didn't even do something wrong. And so I grew up with the concept that God was a taskmaster like Pharaoh and that he always had a whip ready to beat me. Now, that'll mess you up. (laughs) So to renew my mind to a good and loving father, like we talked about last week, exemplified through the person of Jesus Christ who only did the will of God, who only spoke the will of God, who revealed the exact nature of the father. He healed, he delivered, he rescued, he resurrected. He provided the nature of the father revealed through Jesus Christ. Took me a long time to renew my mind to that. A really long time. I'm just saying this to help you. I'm not trying to knock how I was raised. I mean, my my parents did the best they could. They did what they knew to do. But they were not raised as believers. Neither of them came to Jesus until I was married with children. But I'm just grateful that they did. Glory to God. Hebrews 11:7. Prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God concerning events of which as yet there was no visible sign, took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. By this, his faith, which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir and possessor of righteousness, that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. Now, this man, Noah, had never seen rain. You understand that, right? Because if you read about the Garden of Eden, God caused a mist to come up from the ground. So there was no rain. Maybe some of you have, I can't remember what it's called. Um, Vita, what's it called when you have a irrigate? Um, no, not sprinklers. Uh, drip, drip, drip irrigation, yeah. So there was like a divine drip irrigation that watered everything all the time. No drought restrictions. And now here we've been praying for rain, and thank the Lord we got it. I mean, my dog's terrified because I don't know if she's ever seen rain. So Noah had to believe that this God was going to send a flood, that the skies were going to burst forth, the vaults of heaven burst forth. And don't you know that his parents were still alive? Remember, people were living into the hundreds. And yet, he was only able to save his wife and his children and their spouses. He built an ark. Years ago, the Lord said, I want you to begin building an ark for your house. And every day, I would write out, type out a scripture and send it to my children and and my husband. I'm going to do it again, too. And write a prayer that was from that word. And recently my husband moved office spaces. And he brought me an entire, I didn't realize he had saved a whole file. He said, you really ought to make a book out of this for families. 
So he passed judgment on the whole world, and you know that only Noah and his family were saved. And how ridiculous. It took years to build that ark. Don't you know he was ridiculed and spat on and made fun of? Hey, Noah, what are you doing up there? But by faith, Noah did it. Verse 8, urged on by faith when he was called, Abraham obeyed. And he went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know, listen, or trouble his mind about where to go. He didn't even know where he was going. But by faith in the word of God, he did it. No comparison at all, but I didn't know where we were going to get $3,000 40 years ago, 40-something years ago. I don't even remember how we did get it, but I know we paid cash for it. Still sits in my house today. I tried to give it to my children. They wouldn't take it because I actually want a different piece of furniture there. <laughs> Hebrews eleven eleven, Because of faith... Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it. Remember, she was 90? For because she considered God, who had given her the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. The most difficult storm I ever faced. And that's when I started, when I would go to bed, I would say, Lord, let your word watch over me when I sleep and speak to me when I wake up. Awaken my ear to hear as a disciple and help me to be obedient and not turn back. And I would go to bed expecting the word to watch over me and I would awaken. And, and I still do that today. And the minute I wake up, and this is years ago, the minute I wake up, I start listening. I start listening for the voice of the shepherd. Lord, you just command me. Command me, Lord, and I'll do it. I said that to him this morning, Lord, if there's anything you want me to do that I'm not doing, Lord, just tell me. Make it plain to me. I'll do it. And, and I woke up one morning and I heard Hebrews 11, 11. And you know, I love double numbers. Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. A 90-year-old woman. Way past menopause, people. Can you imagine? You talk about dry bones living. And she got pregnant the normal way. 1 Peter 3, 6. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham. And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. Praise the Lord. You're either a daughter of Sarah or you are not. Now let me just read a few scriptures. I'm going to tell you some, some wonderful stories. First, uh, no, Galatians 3, 5 through 7. How do you get your miracle? Does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you do so on the grounds of your doing what the law demands? In other words, do you get your miracle because you keep every single word of the law, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt? Or because of your believing and adhering to and trusting in and relying on the message you heard? the word of God. Thus Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and no one understand this. It is the people who live by faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Are you living by your senses or by faith? Because faith only comes by hearing the word of God. 
Or are you living by what you see, what you can see and hear and touch and taste and smell? Romans 8, 5 through 9, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those according to the spirit set their desires on the things of the spirit or their minds on things of the spirit. Now, the mind of the flesh, listen, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit is death. Now, if you buy the car that makes sense to you, that's okay. You're probably not going to find a scripture that says, buy the red one with automatic drive. But if you make life-altering decisions based on reason and your senses, you could get in trouble. I just read it to you. The mind of the flesh is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, which is death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and peace now and forever because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law. It cannot. So those who are living a life of the flesh cannot please God. But you are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life of the Spirit if the life of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us strip off and throw aside every cumbrance and the sin which so easily clings to us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race set before us, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, the leader and author of our faith. In 2020, Lana Vosser came out with a word. It was on her Facebook page, and it was called Don't Look, Look. And word for word, I wrote out that because I was going through a storm, and I was determined to not walk by sight. And recently, she republished it. And I've kept that word in the forefront of my mind because the Bible says, trust his prophets and succeed. And just the other day, she reposted it. She said, I believe I'm supposed to repost this word. It's for now. So I'm going to read some of it to you. Don't look at the natural. God has given you a word. He has spoken to you something specifically in your life. But all of a sudden, it's flared up and there is being a temptation and a thought in your head. I just am tired I've lowered my expectations. I'm looking at the natural. And with a strong tone from God, you are about to see the manifestation of your promise in that area where the temptation is strong to look at that area. Don't look at the natural. Don't look. Now look. Put a firm focus on, on my promise, on the promise before you. There is significant breakthrough that will catapult you into a new area of ministering with the Lord. What you've contended for, the enemy has kept you chained because it's an area the Lord is going to move powerfully through your life. You will minister to others in the greatest ways ever seen. And it is happening because of the magnitude of the anointing the Lord is going to move and set before you. Now, oddly, Vita came up to me today, and she said, there's something you're believing God for, and now is the time. And it hasn't happened yet. You haven't seen it yet. Now is the time. She didn't know I was going to read this. I wonder who knew. Can't imagine. Don't look, look. 
Look at the word. So let's look at the most famous passage. Peter, walking on water. I'm sure you're all familiar with this. Probably more sermons have been preached on this than just about anything. It's found in Matthew 14, 21 through 33. So Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. And he directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent around the, away the crowds. Now, he gave a command. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, I had a magnificent revelation the other night at our marriage group. Randy was sharing a scripture. I don't even remember what it was. And he said something that is duh obvious, but it just hit me right in the center of my being. He read the scripture, and then he said, this is a command, not a suggestion. And if the Lord gives you a command, it's because you can do it. He gives you a command because you can do it. So Jesus gave them a command. Go to the other side. And after he had dismissed the multitudes, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And it was evening and he was there all alone. But by this time, the boat was out on the sea, many furlongs. And a furlong is one-eighth of a mile distant from the land. So he was many furlongs. That means he was miles away. I asked my... Uh, Son-in-law that's an iron man today, and you know, with an iron man, you swim, I don't, two miles or two, I don't remember, two and a half miles in, in the ocean or lake before you actually bike. And I said, how long would it take to swim a couple of miles? And he said, well, if you're a regular swimmer, about 70 or 80 minutes. Now, that's in regular water. This was a storm, people. And Jesus is not... Swimming. And the boat was beaten and tossed by the waves for the wind was against them. Now, the majority of time in Scripture, like the wind and the storm beat upon the house in Matthew 7, that's from the devil. Jesus does not rebuke normal weather patterns. He rebukes them when they're stirred up by the enemy. The rain we had yesterday was a beautiful rain. The rain we had today is a beautiful rain. But when hail and lightning and the wind's knocking over trees, that's destructive. Who comes to destroy? The thief, John 10.10. 10. And so the boat was by this time, you know, a few miles, two or three miles, I don't see and it was the fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m. of the night. And Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they yelled, it is a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. They didn't go, hey, Peter. Hey, looks, there's a ghost. No, they were scared. But instantly, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. I am. Stop being afraid. Jesus never validated fear. That's always what the enemy wants us to do when someone's afraid. He wants us to validate the fear. Never validate fear. Now, if you see a rattlesnake, your adrenaline's going to pump and you're going to jump. And that's, that's something like that's normal. But, well, I don't sleep for five weeks because I saw a rattlesnake. That's a spirit of fear. 
There's a difference. You don't teach your children, don't go out in front of a car, you'll get killed. You teach your child to respect the power of the automobile and stay on the curb until the car's passed. So they screamed out with fright. And he instantly spoke to them, take courage, I am, stop being afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you. So remember, if he commands you to do something, it's because you can. And he said, come. So he had the word of the Lord. He had a rhema word from, from God. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he perceived and he felt the strong wind, he was frightened. What happened? His senses took over. He took his eyes off the author and perfecter of his faith that said, come. And he was moved by what he could feel and what he could see and what he could hear. Because if you've ever been out in the ocean on like on a cruise, it's loud. The waves are loud. And so when he felt the strong wind, he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And isn't it fun? That word save is sozo. We've talked about that a lot. Sozo me. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, held him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I love the fact that he saved him before he rebuked him. <laughs> and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat knelt and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Verse Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for the full-grown whose senses and mental faculties, whose senses, your five senses, and your mental faculties are trained by practice to discern between good and evil. You got to train yourself. Train yourself. How do you do that? You don't go by your feelings. You get up, you feel discouraged, or you're, you're waiting for a financial report or a medical report or a child report. Train yourself. Train yourself. No, I'm getting the word of God out. I'm going to say what God says. I remember one challenge in my life with one of my children, and I had a stack, handwritten index cards, and I took those cards, and we would maybe be watching TV or going out to dinner, and I had it beside me all the time, and I would just say what God says, say what God says, say what God says. I kept it in front of my eyes. I kept it in my ears, kept it going out of my mouth. What was I doing? I was practicing. I was training my senses. If you don't train your senses, your senses will become your trainer. And that's a dangerous place to be. You can either look at the word or look at the waves, but you can't do both. You can't do both. In Luke 8, 22 through 25, we see a similar story. That they got in the boat. Jesus was with them. And once again, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Now, when Jesus gives you a command, it's because you can. He told them, go to the other side. So once again, they should know we're going to make it. We're going to go to the other side. And there was another storm, and Jesus is asleep in the boat, remember? And they wake him up, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Why? The storm has a voice. The wind and the waves are sent by the enemy, listen, to make you waver. 
That's why they're there, to make you waver. And once again, Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. A peace came. And he said in verse 25 of Luke 8, Why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? Your trust, your confidence in me, in my veracity and my integrity. And they were seized with alarm and reverence. And they marveled and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Hebrews 10, 23. So then let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope we confess and our acknowledgement of it. For he who promised is reliable, sure, and faithful to his word. He who promised is faithful. So what do you have to do? You have to hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. What does James 1 say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith, there's no such thing as untested faith, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, that you will be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Tip, would you get my phone out of my purse, please? Because I'm going to read you something. And it says, ask for wisdom if you lack wisdom. Ask in faith without wavering. The waves cause wavering. Know and understand why it comes to make you waver. Because the Bible says that you will not receive anything from the Lord when you waver. Being a double-minded man, a person of two minds. But what if I believe God and he doesn't do it? That's wavering. What if you believe God and he does? I'd rather believe God big and see some of it, then not believe and get the exact opposite. But I believe that as I fix my eyes on Jesus, he will bring it to pass. Faith never comes by seeing. We want to see and then believe. But God says, if you believe, then you'll see. How long will it take? It, it'll take as long as it takes. That's how long it'll take. Many years ago, and when I say many years, oh my goodness, it was decades, I injured, I had an injury to my lower spine, and it literally shot up into my head, my brain, and uh, sent a shockwave into my brain. And so the next morning I woke up, and, and I don't drink, I've told you this story before, and I felt like I had a major hangover, even though the only thing I drank was water, and I, I just had sensations all over my body. I mean, my face went numb. If you've ever had a dental block, if you've ever had a tooth full, uh, filled, and you know how horrible that is. And you know when it's wearing off, you have that numbing, tingling. And my lips were numb, and I had this tingling. I had, they're called paresthesias. I felt like I was being electrocuted in my limbs and in my abdomen, down my legs. It was horrible. I didn't go immediately to the doctor. I eventually did, but I, I took time to pray first. Didn't say anything to anybody at first. Got my word, got my sword, wrote it down. If you write it down, you write it in. Wrote it down, and I kept those scriptures before me day and night. And I would love to tell you that it disappeared immediately, but you know what really happened? It took a long time. But what really happened is one day I just noticed it was gone. It was just gone. Never came back. 
but I kept the word. I didn't let the waves cause me to drown. And it was hard. I'd like to tell you it was easy, but it wasn't. It was hard. But it was worth it. I still do that to this day. I want to read to you. If you, if you don't have a copy of this book, I am begging you to get on Healed of Cancer. Get on Amazon or wherever. Healed of Cancer by Dodie Osteen. It is a wonderful resource. You don't have to have cancer to read this book. But if you don't know her story, she was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer, given no hope, told with chemotherapy she had a few weeks to live. But she got on the word of God, and in the back of the book are all the healing scriptures that she used every day. I still love to read these. They're so powerful. But I want to read to you a section of what she went through. This is on page uh, 19. If you have the book, if you don't, please get it. The word became my life. In spite of every discouraging symptom, my heart knew what God's word, that God's word could not lie. I had confidence in God's word. If I hadn't, I would have died. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Day by day I gained hope and encouragement from the precious promises that God revealed to me through his word. I clung to my Bible and its healing promises. The word became my life. I read and confessed the scriptures daily. There were days, however, when I wavered in my faith and I would feel great condemnation. My confession of faith had not changed, but it seemed like I was wavering. I think anybody who fights a long battle with sickness will waver some if, persist, if symptoms excuse me, persist. It wasn't until I talked this over with my husband that I realized the wavering was in my head and not in my heart. I said, John, what is wrong with me? I feel so condemned because I am wavering. John knew just what to say. He asked, Dodie, are you wavering in your heart? I said, no. I know God's word is true. God wouldn't lie to me. Then where are you wavering? I considered his question and I replied, in my head. Well, John said, don't you see? That's the difference. You are not wavering in your heart because you know God's word is true. There is no need for you to be condemned. Your heart is established. Resist the thoughts from the devil and he will flee from you. This helped me so much. I had confidence in my heart, but the devil was using my thoughts to cause me to doubt. I had faith in my heart, but doubt in my mind. If you are having symptoms of your sickness and you seem to be wavering, check your spirit. You are probably not wavering in your heart. Doubt is from your head. Don't let the devil condemn you. Satan would torment me with the doctor's words. You have only a few weeks to live. You have only a few weeks to live, few weeks to live, few weeks to live. He would use pain, and then he'd say, you're going to die. Have your family bury you in that pretty pink dress. You'll look good in it. But I would replace those thoughts with God's word, and I would say, with long life he will satisfy me and show me his salvation, Psalm 91, 16. The devil bombarded my mind with every kind of fear imaginable, especially when everybody was asleep and I laid awake. Symptoms came against my body, mostly demonic and tormenting thoughts, just to try my faith. I would fight so hard in the middle of the night, and this is when the devil's thoughts would play on my mind. Many nights I would lie awake and pray continually and rebuke the spirit of fear. I felt like I had battle fatigue, but I kept on pushing and fighting. 
The word of God would always encourage me and make me feel better. But the devil would challenge every step of faith I took. And each time I quoted scripture, he would say, it hasn't done you one bit of good to confess God's word, has it? He would question every promise of God. Sound familiar? It's a fight for a reason. But you fight the good fight of faith with the word of God. And the Lord would say to you, don't give up. Don't worry about how things look right now. The Lord has you covered and it won't be long now. I want to close with two stories. One is, he is such an excellent preacher. His name is Kent Maddox. And I heard him tell the story that was revolutionary to me. It was a story of his cigarette smoking, cursing son. And he took him on a foreign trip, another country. And it was packed. There were thousands of people. And his son was outside. His cigarette-cursing son was outside smoking cigarettes. And he looked up once, and his son was in the balcony. And he preached a message on healing, and people came forward for healing. Coming forward was this one woman. She was terminally ill. She was so decrepit and so ill she could hardly walk. And she had little children that were clinging to her crying. And this woman was crying. And he prayed for all the sick. And this woman stood there so bent over and so sick. And all of a sudden, Kent looked. And there was his cussing, cigarette-smoking son. Sobbing hysterically. And Kent came down and he went to a cigarette-smoking son. Now, this is what he called him. So I'm just telling you what he said. He came down to a cigarette-smoking son. He said, son, what's the matter? Did my message get to you? And the son said, no, dad, it's that woman. He said, what about her? And the son said, dad, she's so sick and she has little children and I can't bear it. And Kent said, well, go pray for her. So his cussing cigarette-smoking son <laughs> went over and he prayed for that lady. She was divinely healed on the spot. Now I'm going to quote what he said God said to him. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, you piece of dog doo-doo. That's what he said. You think you are so holy and mighty. And that I can't work through your cussing cigarette smoking son. And yet your cigarette-smoking son carried my heart. And so I was able to work through him and not you. Not all about you, but that would have gotten to me. See, because we limit the power of God through people because we think they're not worthy. And yet some of the most powerful words come through those people that you think couldn't possibly carry a message from God. I promise you right now that if I were tattooed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, a lot of you wouldn't listen to me. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. Do you think God could speak through somebody tattooed from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet? I do. Amen. 
The only reason I don't have a tattoo is because I knew I'd wrinkle and it would look bad. <laughs> and that is what happened. I'm going to close with a story. It's a true story. True story. And I had to screenshot it because I couldn't. Um... This is by Pastor Michael Maiden. My awesome son Matthew started doing drugs young at 12 or 13 years old. His heart had been broken by the devastation that happened to our family and church. He started to self-medicate, trying to find some relief. He was a star athlete. We entered him into a rehab as a teenager, but it wasn't successful. He moved out of the house as soon as he legally could. Police wanted to arrest him, and drug dealers wanted to kill him. I would lay on his former bed, and I'd pray that he wouldn't die that night. He'd been fighting addiction for seven years, and my faith had been exhausted. One night as I was leaving his former bedroom after praying for him not to die, the Lord powerfully spoke to me. Stop focusing, speaking, and praying about your son's problems. Start focusing, speaking, and praying about all the prophetic promises I've spoken to you about him. Don't pray the problem. Pray the promise. I immediately told my amazing wife what God had spoken to me, and we changed our vocabulary concerning our precious son. One night, only a few weeks after praying this way for him, God supernaturally set our son free from addiction. He moved home. He went to Bible school. He served as a missionary to Haiti for a year. He became our youth pastor. He married an incredible wife. He has four beautiful children. He has a thriving business, and he and his wife are the executive pastors of CFTN. God gave us a miracle for our son, and he can give your family, your life, your business, and your ministry the same kind of breakthrough in Jesus' name. But not if you focus on the problem, on the symptom, on the reports, not even on the person that you're praying for. I've told you many times about my dear friend, and I'm going to close now, and now I'm going to have you do something. She was diagnosed with a five-pound Hodgkin's disease tumor right here in her chest. Five pounds. And she believed God. She took one chemotherapy treatment, just one. She kept the word of God, kept the word of God, kept the word of God. That thing disappeared. And she just knew that the Lord had healed her. She just knew that she was healed by the power of the word of God. She went to her pastor. She and her husband went to her pastor, and her pastor said, let faith be your umpire, Colossians 3.15. She did not go back to the doctor for 15 years. And by the way, neither did Dodie, because she said, I could not afford for my faith to be attacked. However, in the back of the book, if you have it, Many years later, she had to have a hysterectomy, and the doctor that diagnosed her was in the room, and she had no cancer in her body. Now, you might ask, well, you healed her of cancer. Why did she need a hysterectomy? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but see how we ask these ridiculous questions? I have no idea. But she's alive today. Pray the promise. Dust off 
your note cards, your journals, your whatever. Get back in the word. Stop looking at the wind and the waves. They will deceive you. They will scare you. They will bring doubt and unbelief. Focus on the word. And don't let go until your faith becomes your manifested reality. But first, first, faith is the conviction of things not revealed to your senses. You have to train your senses before you see it. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting chosenessay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.